0: Hello and welcome to the new Revamped Plying Through Brexit podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and AHDB. I'm your host this week, Farmers Guardian Chief Reporter Abby Kay. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every month. Subscribe through all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast to ensure you stay up to date. This month, we're taking a closer look at the all-important UK-EU trade deal with three guests, David Swales, Head of Strategic Insights at AHDB, Tanya gastel from the AHDB Brussels office, and Gail Sutar, Chief EU Exit and International Trade Advisor at the NFU. Farm leaders have broadly welcomed the agreement, which keeps tariffs and quotas at zero, but there has already been some disruption at the border as businesses try to work their way around the new requirements for importing and exporting, and some agricultural sectors are facing specific problems, which we will delve into later. But first, David, perhaps you can start by giving us an overview of the trade deal. So talk us through its basic provisions and give us your assessment of how good you think the deal is for UK agriculture.
1: Thanks, Abby. So uh, the deal is a a bit of a monster, really. There's well over a thousand pages of text here. But if I was to sort of give a very headline um, summary, I'd probably highlight five key points, which I think um, are things we need to bear in mind. The first and probably the most important you've already uh, touched on, and that's that there's no tariffs or quotas within this trade deal. Uh, And that, for me, is a real big positive. Uh, Most free trade agreements aren't as as full as that, as it were. So most would have limits or some sorts of tariffs in place. So it's good news that those things aren't in place on this trade deal and we have tariff-free access. Um, So that's a big positive. The second thing is, although there are positives there, um, the UK is now a third country. uh, So we're outside the single market and customs union. And we'll probably come on to this a, a bit later on. But because we're outside those those bodies, we do now have some sort of trade frictions which are in place, uh, which will affect uh, our trade. So it isn't business as usual. The third thing is around autonomy. So what I think is positive uh, from a, a sort of Brexiteer perspective is they were very keen that the UK was able to set its own rules and regulations. Uh, and the deal does allow that to happen. But there are requirements in there that if we are exporting products to the to the EU, we do need to be able to evidence that those products meet EU rules and regulations. So, uh, so there is uh, some 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 issues there which we need to consider. With my fourth one is around rules of origin. Uh, so, um, what we do now have to deal with a whole set of, of new rules which. Ex- Exporters will be managing and those are around uh, ensuring that products which we export to the EU have originated in the UK, so we can't import products from, from other third countries and then send them on without incurring tariffs. And there's also some complicated rules around us importing EU product and then re-exporting that to them. So there's a whole host of issues there, which, which probably we might touch on a bit later. And the final one really is a, was a very sensitive issue from the EU side, and that's around having a level playing field. And there are a set of clauses within the deal. Uh, which kind of sort of set um, a requirement that we don't diverge around issues such as labour rights, the environment, and indeed subsidising uh, industries. So there's some issues there where we can't diverge greatly, and there's a whole set of, of new sort of rules and regulations and arbitration processes which would be put in place. Uh, and potentially, if we were to diverge, there could be uh, steps taken by the EU uh, such as imposing tariffs on some uh, some goods and products uh, in, in the future. So, I mean, that's a very brief summary, uh, sort of trying to get it down to, to five key takeouts. Uh, and I dare say we'll talk about that in more detail as we go through. But certainly from my perspective, given where we were just a month ago, I think the deal is, is overwhelmingly a, a positive because uh, it avoids that sort of worst case scenario, which we were all dreading. And that was ending up without a deal at all.
0: Thanks. That's a really useful summary, David. Gail, David mentioned there the fact that we are introducing some friction into the supply chain um, through this deal. So there's going to be new non-tariff barriers like physical checks at the border. How serious is that? Is it going to cause big problems, or is it just is it just a small inconvenience?
2: Thanks, Abby. Yeah. It's for those people who are exporting product to the EU or sending product to Northern Ireland, then it is a massive um, uh, issue for them. There are new procedures relating to customs, VAT, sanitary and phytosanitary checks. Uh, there's new rules relating to marketing and the types of certification uh, of products. So, for people who are directly exporting or sending product, Uh, over a border, then, yeah, it's absolutely massive. And, you know, there are going to be additional costs and inconvenience uh, for them. Um, For the majority of farmers themselves who are not necessarily the ones trading, they've got somebody they supply their goods to or they buy their goods from somebody else in in the country, then uh, these new checks probably aren't going to mean much to them. There is the potential that ultimately some additional costs down the supply chain, could be passed back onto farmers, and you know we're alive to that, and we're keeping a very close eye on what's happening with the with the markets.
0: Is there anything else in the deal that farmers will notice at a grassroots level more quickly?
2: So the deal doesn't cover uh, exports of seed potatoes. We know that uh, the EU does not allow uh, third countries, which the UK is now, to send seed potatoes to the EU. The only other country in the world that is allowed to do it is is Switzerland and and that's because they follow the same uh, rules uh, as the EU. So farmers who are directly trading in seed potatoes uh, will find that they are not allowed to send that product to the the EU. Um, All of the other authorisations have been in place. I heard some some good news uh, as well around exports of uh, certified seed that we should get in the, the final legal sign off to be able to send certified seed to, to Northern Ireland and to the EU uh, very soon. So seed potatoes is really the, the big one, the, the, the outlier that, that is facing a ban uh, to the EU and to Northern Ireland.
0: David, that's one particular sector specific issue that's going to be a problem for farmers. Are there any others that you're aware of that, that could affect farmers?
1: Yeah, no, it's a a good point, Abby. I think that there are a few, and and people often describe the deal as being a bit of a thin deal. And Gail's right. What basically, the the deal provides the framework, really, and there's lots of then sort of very specific technical discussions going on or have gone on which kind of supplement and and hopefully make trading a a bit easier in the short term. I suspect most of the issues we're talking about here are mainly ones which the traders are having to deal with. So people are either importing products or exporting product uh, to the EU. Uh, So individual farmers may not deal with them directly, but they will be happening. I know we've had lots of calls from people who have experienced particular challenges. uh, And I would expect that's going to remain the case for for a good few weeks to come because the, the rule book has changed completely overnight. And there's bound to be a few teething problems and a a few teething difficulties. So farmers may notice slight increases in in some goods because we did a lot of modelling around this. And and whilst we have avoided these really high tariffs, we are going to have extra friction. uh, And that will add a little bit of cost. Now, whether or not farmers notice that, um, uh, I I don't know. know, The the price of, of products like fertilisers and things like that will move about generally in the marketplace just because of supply and demand. Uh, And the amount of trade friction cost is probably only going to be sort of a couple of percent on on some of those goods. It may be that the general movements of the market kind of mask the effect that some of those things have gone up slightly in cost. But there will be an effect there. Uh, And as Gail says, even things which aren't directly going to to the farming industry, some of those costs may well be passed down the supply chain. uh, And it's just whether or not people notice them at the time.
2: We also know that uh, exporters of live animals are going to face issues. Um, There is um, two issues here. There's issue for people who are moving uh, farm uh, livestock to Northern Ireland. So, for example, bulls or uh, sheep. Um, There is a requirement that the animal has stayed on the last holding for 40 days. So in normal times, uh, you'd expect bull sales um, coming up in in the next few months. Uh, Obviously, with COVID, um, that might not be happening uh, this year. But if people are planning to send live animals to to Northern Ireland, they need to be aware of the 40-day residency rule. We're also aware that from a sheep perspective, that sheep moving from Great Britain to Northern Ireland will require scrapey test um, and we've heard that that can cost uh, £35 per head. So there are issues for export of live animals to Northern Ireland. There's an even bigger issue when it comes to uh, export of live animals, whether that's for breeding purposes uh, or for slaughter, but especially for breeding purposes to move uh, breeding animals onto the continent. There are no border control posts that will accept large uh, farm animals, cattle, sheep, pigs, goats, Uh, in North Europe, so France, Netherlands, Belgium, um, or or Denmark. So as things stand, there is no way that we could get breeding animals uh, onto the continent. And that is uh, a concern for uh, breeding companies and farmers who are involved uh, in that trade.
0: Tanya, this is all very much talking from a UK perspective. How will this deal affect farmers in the EU? Are they going to notice these changes and are there any individual issues for them, as, as mentioned by David and Gail? Yeah, so
3: the UK is one of the main importers of EU agricultural products. So this deal, obviously, is it's important and, and positive. For EU farmers, in, to the extent that it secures that their products can still go to one of their most important clients uh, under zero tariffs and zero quota conditions, so this is, as, as David said, is quite unprecedented in any EU trade deal. It was welcomed by the EU industry because it provides a good and a solid basis for for this trade to continue. It. So that's positive. However, main issue for farmers are not maybe directly uh, to farmers, but to their operations and and to the possibilities for their products to go to the UK. And um, as as Gail and David have explained, the main issues then lie on uh, on the difficulties and the new uh, the, the new requirements in terms of paperwork and checks in the borders can create and and the trade friction that that can create when sending their products to the uk so it's probably too soon to assess uh, the full impact of this but uh this will for sure imply uh, additional costs and logistics logistic difficulties for traders that can you know Uh, end up having some impact on EU farmers as well.
0: So uh, I'm hearing actually that it's not clear to UK exporters whether livestock feed, which contains animal proteins, whether or not they need an export health certificate to go to Northern Ireland or the EU. And apparently that's stopping livestock feed exporters from sending anything to the continent. Is that going to be an issue for EU farmers or is is the market not large enough?
3: The underlying problem in this issue that you're mentioning is... we're talking about a trade deal that has been agreed and signed and provisionally applied in just a week. So when these things usually take months, if not years. So here the industry is still in the process of getting their heads around the new rules while they already have to implement them. And this obviously will affect both sides, not only the UK, but also the EU. So I haven't picked up any specific difficulty as regards feed for EU farmers although this does not mean that it doesn't exist, it's just an area I don't usually cover. But the, the problem is the lack of clarity regarding rules. And I did hear about this lack of clarity being the reason for some uh, businesses to stop operations for a while, uh, waiting for more clarity. So this type of situation can definitely create challenges, uh, challenges along the line in both sides, both in the UK, but also for, for the EU. AHDB is the go-to organisation for news, views and analysis of how leaving the EU will affect our farming and growing sectors. Find a host of levy-payer focused tools and practical resources to get your business ready for the changes ahead at ahdb.org.uk forward slash EU exit.
0: Gail, we've already seen that there's been some disruption at the border as businesses try to get scripts with the new rules, as, as Tanya's mentioned there. Do you think that there's potential for this to get worse? Because as Tanya mentioned, people are holding back for the minute and taking a sort of wait and see approach. Or, you know, will it, will it continue at similar levels? And what exactly is it that's driving that disruption?
2: So we saw a disruption before um, before Christmas, before the deal, uh, because the French closed the the borders because of the risks from COVID, um, and we saw huge disruptions with hauliers um, backing up um, in in Kent. Actually, since the first of January, um, we haven't really seen the same um, level of uh, disruption, and the reason for that is entirely because we are not seeing the same levels of flow through the border that we would expect at this time of year. I mean, in January, the volumes um, of traffic through the short straits uh, would be lower anyway. Um, it's a quieter time of year. But even though we are still seeing um, a flow at a historically low level, um, people are holding back. Now, the latest intelligence is that we might start to see trade returning to more uh, normal levels by uh, the third week in in January, um, maybe by the 20th, 21st of of January, uh, but we're certainly not seeing uh, a trade at normal uh, levels uh, at present. Every day we are hearing about an increased number of lorries that are getting to the border and being turned back for for various reasons. Some of it relating to COVID, so not relating to Brexit. Um, But we are seeing more and more lorries uh, being turned back uh, and facing issues, uh, delays getting through the border relating to the new rules, relating to incomplete or missing uh, paperwork. And that is a real concern. That will start to affect companies, who are facing additional costs, potentially massive losses, if they're not able to um, continue their journey to their customers on the continent. We know of consignments of pig meat, for example, that took 20 hours to get through um, Cali. It was then subsequently rejected once it got to its customers in in Germany. So we are seeing some real effects. And as trade continues to increase and, and get back to more like normal levels, we will see that disruption starting to increase. Tanya, that those
0: problems that Gail mentions there, you know, we've got a lot of hauliers bringing product to the UK from from the continent. Will they continue to do that if there's a risk of delay, or you know, if they're going to get stranded here, will they will they bother?
3: Here, the European businesses at the moment they have kind of a small advantages advantage in that the UK is implementing a stage approach to checks and controls, um, and for goods coming into the UK. So for the time being. Uh, Traders that are importing standard goods from the EU into the UK are only having to prepare for basic customs requirements. It won't be until April that these products uh, of animal origin or regulated plants and plant products will have to deal with things like uh, pre-notification or relevant health documentation. So, from what I'm hearing in Brussels at the moment, businesses are at the moment not facing so such a big problems as as we are hearing from the other way around. But problems are obviously starting to arise. And those have mainly to do, as we say, with this lack of clarity as regards uh, rules. If these issues are not solved, they obviously have the potential to create uh, really major challenges for traders that can uh, definitely disrupt businesses. David,
0: in the deal, there was a commitment for the UK and the EU to cooperate on antimicrobial resistance, sustainable food systems and animal welfare. What will that mean in practice?
1: Yeah, so so for me I think our starting point with the EU is at the moment there's there's pretty much regulatory alignment on everything because we've obviously been within the EU for so long. I think some people were maybe hoping for or even expecting there to be a, a massive bonfire of all the rules and regulations and, and suddenly things are gonna get a whole lot a whole lot easier. The reality is that isn't gonna be the case. We mentioned earlier this issue around having a level playing field in certain areas. And also the UK is a member of other sort of international bodies and groups like the World Trade Organization. Basically, um, I think what both parties are keen to ensure is that there's relatively high standards uh, on both sides of the channel. And that will hopefully help uh, trade to, to remain as friction free as it possibly can be. Obviously, we'll have to prove we can meet EU standards to export to them. So having a degree of cooperation or alignment in certain areas will will help that process. I think the reality is uh, there is a degree of autonomy now. And in some of these areas, things like animal welfare, the environment and sustainability, the EU's concern, I think, is that there would be a bit of a race. Based to the bottom. And I don't have that concern. My view would be, if anything, the UK could end up taking a, a sort of the higher level of standard in, in some of these areas. Some of the communication from DEFRA indicates we want to encourage UK welfare standards to be amongst the best in the world and almost use that as a sort of point of differentiation when it comes to sort of positioning our exports on the world market. For me, it's an area where we need to keep a close eye on over the coming uh, sort of months and years. But yes, yeah, certainly the starting point, if there isn't a huge difference in standards between the UK and the EU, and I'd be surprised if, if the UK were to sort of relax its standards in certain areas. Tanya, do
0: you have any thoughts on that from a European perspective? What what kind of things will the EU be expecting from the UK as far as continued cooperation on those issues, goes?
3: The, the thing that those issues have in common is that they refer to shared global challenges. Of course, as David has just explained, we now the UK is now kind of free to set their own rules and legislation around specifics in those areas. We still live in a globalised world with globalised challenges, and there are areas where... Uh, we should keep talking to each other. So I think this is kind of the intention is that we keep talking to each other uh, both directly, but also, as as David mentioned as well, in international forward, uh, sharing experiences and best practices and even carrying out joint initiatives were relevant uh, because these are the type of uh, issues like antimicrobial resistance, animal welfare and so on, that we can tackle better if, if we still continue this, this dialogue and this cooperation, not only between the EU and the UK, but also in an international context. context, right?
0: Gail, the Prime Minister has made clear that the UK has an opportunity to diverge from EU rules now. Which areas will the UK want to take advantage of this newfound freedom in, do you think? And will that potentially have an impact on trade flows?
2: I think, you know, if we do diverge in the future, we're going to have to be mindful about what we have signed up to in the trade and cooperation agreement. Um, We've agreed that we're not going to regress on environmental standards, we're not going to lower... um, uh, the environmental baseline. Um, so, if we were to do that, if we were to to breach that, then the EU would have the right to apply uh, potentially tariffs on on our exports. So, any kind of divergence that we do in the future, we're going to have to um, you know do with our eyes wide open to think about well, what would be the consequences uh, on trade. So, for example, if we allowed a, a plant protection product on our market that the EU um, currently bans and that we currently ban, but we allow it in, in the future, then you know, could the EU put tariffs on uh, our exports under the trade and cooperation agreement? Uh, yes, they probably have the right to do that. So we would need to take uh, each example of divergence on a case by case basis and just weigh up, you know, what does it mean in terms of opportunities for um, um, enhancing productivity here in the UK, potentially lowering costs, uh, but does it have an implication in terms of uh, our trade with the EU and what the potential uh, ramifications would be? So it's going to uh, be quite a, a long, drawn-out process where we will have to weigh up what the pros and cons are of doing things differently in the future. Uh, there certainly will be uh, opportunities. I think I would say we're we're possibly in the worst-case scenario at the moment where. We have reserved the right to diverge, but we actually haven't you know, done anything differently. Um, but despite that, we are still facing the, the additional costs and, and the bureaucracy on trading with the European Union. So um, we will need to um, think about very carefully you know, what would doing things differently mean in, in trade terms. What about
0: looking at it in the reverse? So the Prime Minister, he seemed to hint that the UK might ban farrowing crates at some point in the future and then whack a tariff on any EU pork products that are coming into the UK that are produced with farrowing crates. Do you do you think that kind of thing would ultimately be beneficial to the UK industry or does that have its own um risks?
2: I think it gets to the heart of um the NAU's concern around food uh, food standards, you know, we want to make sure that, that trade is fair. We, we we certainly do not want to see imported product coming onto our market that doesn't meet our environmental or animal welfare uh, standards. Um, we know the Trade and Agriculture Commission will be doing uh, a report and a set of recommendations in uh, in the next month or, or so, and we'll be looking to see what those recommendations uh, will be. Um, I think we need to be very mindful that this government um, has... Um, you know, got high animal welfare environmental um, uh, credentials for its own farmers. But uh, we do need to make sure that they apply those same principles to imported product coming in to the UK, to our market. And I don't think we've seen the evidence uh, of that yet.
1: I think that's a really interesting one, uh, Abby, because potentially we could diverge and our standards be- could become higher than the EU's. Uh, Would we then be able to penalise EU imports to the the UK for not meeting our current standards? So I think that's an interesting one. I think that the stuff around divergence here, that that the EU concern was about a race to the bottom, and the UK diverging and making our rules and regulations lighter touch the EU. That's kind of almost like the opposite, although it would be the UK who are diverging to go to a higher level of standards. So given it's us diverging, I'm not sure whether we would be able to then impose tariffs on the EU because of our divergence, if that makes sense. Um, I think there's a lot of detail which needs to be dug into here. And the reality is we're trying to get our heads around how all of this might work going forward. And there's still a lot here that we need to understand.
2: I think the important thing is that the EU would not be allowed to regress from where they are at the moment. And if they were to regress, then um, on my reading of the the agreement, then yes, the UK government would in theory be able to retaliate and impose tariffs. The question is politically, would they want to do that? Would they want to make it more expensive to bring in pork uh, from the continent? given that we um, import about 30% of the food that we consume comes from the EU. um, I'm sure they are mindful of the potential to uh, make those imports more expensive.
0: Just before we go any further, Gail mentioned um, the Trade and Agriculture Commission and their report that is going to come out. Farms Guardian have done an interview with the chairman of the TAC, uh, Tim Smith, and he's given us a sneak peek at what some of those recommendations might be. So keep your eyes peeled on the FG Insight website for that. David, is this deal the end of the story? Or is it more likely to be used as a base upon which the UK and EU can continue to build a new trading relationship?
1: Yeah, it's it's probably the latter of those two. Uh, So the deal kind of doesn't set everything in stone in perpetuity uh, so again because of some of those concerns around autonomy and level playing field which we've touched on um, already there's obviously scope for things to alter uh, and change in the future and as such and a lot of the, this the, the deal is actually dedicated to talking about how that's kind of going to be policed and, and and the uk were very keen that it wasn't like eu courts who kind of judged and arbitrated on these things So instead, we've got a whole host of different committees being put in place, and we have sort of independent arbitration processes which will kind of be used by either side, really, uh, to kind of get a a judgment on whether the other side has done something which is unfair and uh, and not in line with the agreement which we've struck. And obviously, if there are things which are judged to be unfair, then there is potential, as as Gail mentioned earlier, for one or other side to maybe introduce some tariffs into the process uh, 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 as a sort of response to that. It doesn't set everything in stone, uh, and, and we'll have to continue to sort of monitor and look at how things change uh, uh, over the coming years but it's a it's a really good starting point for those relations
0: Gail from an agriculture perspective which areas do you think the UK would want to build on and perhaps separately what would the NFU like to see added to the deal
2: well, certainly speaking on behalf of the NFU, um, there are provisions in the deal to look at um, certification requirements, border clearance processes for SPS goods, whether that's beef, lamb, pork, dairy, um, regulated plants. So we would want negotiators to look very much at what is causing the friction at the borders um, as we speak, you know, as there opportunities to move some of those certification requirements away from paper based into electronic systems. Um, Is there ways that we can streamline those processes, make them easier uh, for um, exporters to supply the the European market? We also need to look very closely at the the Northern Irish protocol and what it means in terms of movement of goods from Great Britain into to, to Northern Ireland it's really difficult um, to navigate what the rules are if you're a farmer moving goods from Great Britain into uh, Northern Ireland and receiving them on a farm in, in Northern Ireland it's really really complicated so we'd want uh, to try and streamline those processes as much as possible. Um, we've still got work to do on those border control posts to try and get more border control posts or at least some points of entry for those farm animals going onto the continent Um, and as I said earlier the issue of seed potatoes is another aspect that we really want to uh, build on and see if there's an opportunity to allow um, Great British seed potatoes back on to the EU market. Is the government
0: interested in helping you to get border inspection posts set up at European ports because they've got this big consultation going on at the moment about live exports they it doesn't seem that they want any live animals to be exported at all so are they on board with helping to get those border inspection posts up and running?
2: I think my understanding is correct the consultation relates to animals for slaughter Um, it's really important that we um, can access the continental market for breeding animals that we can send high quality uh, breeding animals to to the continent. Um, I know that DEFRA is aware of discussions that we are having, um, but these are uh, commercial uh, discussions at the end of the day. It would require commercial port authorities uh, on the continent to to build the necessary uh, infrastructure. It would require ports on the UK side um, to have corresponding uh, infrastructure in place, so we are talking about uh, millions of pounds worth of investment here. So, you know, for anybody to make that investment, we need to know that there is you know, regulatory policy uh, certainty that you know the government's not going to sort of ban this type of uh, movement uh, overnight. So, we are working with DEFRA um, and a number of MPs on this. Um, it's a it's a tricky ask, absolutely. Um, we're in discussion uh, with those port authorities around you know what the appetite to establish these border control posts
3: would be.
0: And Tanya, is there anything that European farmers would have liked to have seen in the deal which was absent? Or is there anything that you think the EU will be pushing for at
3: the next review of the deal's terms? Well, I think it's early days now to know what the EU will be pushing for at, at the next review. And I think we all need to see first how this deal that we have is going to work out. But that said, um, if I had to mention one thing that I think EU farmers and the EU's agri-food change in general general, would uh, like to see is definitely time. More time to adapt to the new rules, to understand them, to get clear guidance before having to fully implement them. And we all know that this was a race against the clock. And uh, I think it's a massive achievement from both negotiating teams. But adapting to new rules requires time and resources. And and that's precisely what we are all in in both sides of the channel. We are all short of this in in this context that is marked not only by Brexit, but also by other um, big issues such as the ongoing pandemic.
0: Yeah, I think um, they're not alone the European farmers in wanting extra time. Um, And we could do with some as well because I think that's about all we have time for this month. Um, But thank you to all three of you, our guests, David, Gail and Tanya, for a really interesting discussion. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show. We will, of course, be back soon with more. But in the meantime, why not subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Flying Through Brexit? Until next month, from us at FG and AHDB, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well.
1: Goodbye for now.